we dare to dream. And as we'll talk about today, uh, we are not meant to do that dreaming alone. Uh, to get at that idea, uh, we're going to be reading from Luke 1, 26 to 45. It's a fair portion of, of uh, the story leading up to the birth of Christ. And you certainly, of course, can turn there or pull it up on your phone. I'd also invite you to consider this morning just listening and perhaps even uh, closing your eyes if you're able to do that, comfortable doing that, uh, in order to kind of become a, a fly on the wall of what is easily one of the most kind of pivotal moments in human history. And, uh, and to maybe hear it again, or to see it again in a new way. So here's Luke uh, 1, 26 to 45. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great. It will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this be? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant, may everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. So here in Advent, we've been practicing this pattern of reflection, discussion, and action. We're going to do that again today. I'll offer a few pieces of reflection along the way. I'm also going to invite you to discuss, to enter into the conversation, and then we'll consider together what step, what action uh, we are feeling called to take as a result of, of what we've been reflecting and discussing together. 
So this morning, I want to focus on the final words of the angel. We could, of course, uh, focus on the greeting, which is stunning. I mean, what God says about Mary and to her, uh, it's overwhelming. And the angel's news, of course, is world shifting. The role that Mary is going to be asked to play in God's renewal of all things is as significant as it gets. But I want to look at the final words of the angel, and here they are again. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Why does God's messenger mention this? Why end his time with Mary with these words. Mary didn't ask about Elizabeth. She didn't request a status update on her family. But the angel closes with these words. Why? I actually want to turn that question back to you. And this is our first opportunity here right away for some discussion. Why do you think the angel tells Mary about Elizabeth. Why would this be important for Mary to know? And why are these the final words, do you think? Of all the things that the angel could have concluded with, this is his closing. So give it a little bit of thought. If you've got people in your household with you, you can chat together. Uh, You're welcome to unmute yourself and just share a thought or an idea. And of course, you're welcome to type into the chat window what you think uh, about these questions. As I try to do when when we're having these conversations, I try to remind you that there is really no right or wrong here. There's not one answer I'm looking for, or I think even that the text is driving us toward. I think there are potentially many things happening here. So what do you think? We've got our first contestant. Hearing about something miraculous makes it easier to believe in the miraculous. Yeah, yeah, proof of what is possible. So this might be a reminder of what God can do. If Elizabeth is pregnant, then perhaps the news that Mary's been given could also be true. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. Any other ideas? Yeah, this might be a signpost. Helpful, Stephanie. A reminder of God's past faithfulness helps us believe in faithfulness to come or faithfulness now. Yeah. Someone to connect with. Someone else's pregnancy isn't alone. Absolutely. Yeah, and community. They can go through this together 100%. That's great. So this is an encouragement to Mary. She's not alone. It's an encouragement because it reminds her or tells her, shows her of God's power and ability already active in Elizabeth, who's now six months ahead of her. This is great, everyone. Absolutely. So the angel ends with words 
that are meant to support Mary, that are meant to encourage her, remind her of the miraculous, help her to see that she's not alone. And just days after getting this message and hearing these words, Mary is on the move. Verse 39 says this, a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea. Let's just look at this sentence here for a moment. The hill country of Judea was about 90 miles from where Mary was, which was the little village of Nazareth. 90 miles. To put that into some context, if you were downtown Grand Rapids, hopped on 131 South, you would travel 90 miles when you reached the Michigan-Indiana state line. So imagine making that journey, of course, on foot. Do the math, the average walking pace. You're looking at three solid, long days of consistent walking. In other words, uh, Elizabeth is just not around, right around the corner for Mary. This is not a trip Mary would have made lightly or often. The text tells us that this happens just a few days later, a few days after receiving the news of Mary's role in God's renewal of the world. And you get the sense that there's some urgency to Mary. She, she perhaps feels compelled that she almost must get to Elizabeth. And the word here in the sentence, hurried, uh, really emphasizes this point. The Greek uh, could be translated that she sped or she made haste to get to the hill country of Judea to get to her family. So let me ask another question. Again, an opportunity for a little bit more conversation. What emotions do you think Mary might have been feeling in the first few days after the angel's visit? What emotions do you think Mary might have been feeling in those first few days? And then related is this question, why do you think she made haste to Elizabeth? What do you think about those two questions? Again, feel free to unmute yourself. No one's done that yet in four weeks, but maybe you'll be the first or just put it in the chat window. I'm going to go with absolute terror. Hmm. Absolute terror. I think that's your voice, Andy. Yeah. I think that's fair. It certainly is possible, right? We, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us this. It's just kind of us reading and leaning into the text, but terror. Yeah. And the, yeah, let's see. Stephanie would agree. There's no way she wasn't at least a little bit afraid. Yeah, the Katarskis, nervous, excited, ashamed, anxious. So a whole slew of emotions. I think that's probably right. Yeah, Zach. I mean, she's, she agrees to this plan, but extreme confusion? Yeah, that seems possible for sure. And alone. Mm-hmm. Scared. Thanks, Molly. Yeah, Alyssa, I mean, isn't that possible? Like, did I make this all up? Um, did, did I hallucinate this? Did something 
happened to me, but it actually isn't the way I remember it. I'm kind of, I'm assuming that's what you mean, Alyssa, by, by that idea there. Yeah. So, right, Sarah, there is such a gift, right? Isn't it such a relief to be with someone who is going through what you're going through, to know that you're not the only person in the world? Because that's often what we tell ourselves in Mary's case. She's almost right. Uh, maybe she is right. Uh, but we often tell ourselves that, right? I'm, I'm alone. No one would understand. Um, but, and then you find that person who has been through what you've been through. What a gift. What a gift. Yeah, so these are great reflections and, and answers, if we want to call them that, everyone. I think that's right. Yep, I think that's right too, Stephanie. Mm -hmm. In fact, that, that maybe is a, a nice segue, what Stephanie's comment there of, of this being an oasis. Um, let, me, let me show you something, kind of move on here. Um, so we've been using during all of Advent here, artwork, liturgy, poetry, um, the devotional, if you've been using that at all, all of that has been made by a group of um, really creative folks. They've banded together, created this thing called a sanctified art that helps churches have creative tools um, for worship. And one of the people in that group uh, has created this image. It's in your devotional this week. I think it's Tuesday's entry, maybe Wednesday's entry. It's a, an image of Elizabeth and Mary. When I look at this picture, I, I am kind of stopped in my tracks because I think it captures really beautifully the possible emotions that would have been present in this greeting. That's certainly joy, but you see other things on the face of Mary and on the face of Elizabeth and in their embrace. This does seem potentially like an oasis. In this image by Lyle Gwen Garrity, uh, she also accompanies this image with some of her reflections. And she writes this, I'm gonna quote it at length. It's, think, I think it's worth it. I think it's that good. And again, you'll encounter it this week if you use the devotional. She writes this uh, about Mary and Elizabeth meeting. Did it feel like a dream when the angel approached? Greetings, favored one. Did her mind, did Mary's mind spin as she pondered the impossibility of it all? You will bear a son and he will be great. Did she lose her balance when she realized the gravity of her call? The child will be holy, the son of God. Did her legs get weak after the words left her lips? Here I am, let it be. In the quiet that followed, did she question everything? Did she realize that this would mean, what this would mean for her family, for Joseph, for her future? Did she realize she would be perceived as impure? as a threat to patriarchy, power, and propriety? Did fear cloak her like a garment pulled too tight? And so in a haze, she runs away, seeking refuge 
in the hill country, retreating to a family who would keep her safe and help her make sense of her world turned upside down. As soon as she falls into Elizabeth's arms, Elizabeth knows and feels it to be true. Yes, I feel it too. We are pregnant with promise. We carry this together. This is not a dream deferred. It is a dream confirmed, a dream shared, a dream that will birth. So Mary is asked, obviously, to play a central role in God's making of the world and and renewing the world. She's asked to join in to God's dreams and help make them a reality. And while she says yes and does so with really remarkable humility and courage, I can't help but believe that in the days following the angel's visit, she also began to realize, probably with a trembling clarity, that she cannot do this alone. And isn't the same true for you and for me? When we are invited to participate in God's dreams for the world, whatever those dreams may be, don't we too often have a moment of trembling clarity where we realize, I cannot do this alone. I think Luke's gospel makes it clear that when we realize that, we are right. (laughs) And also that we are not meant to do it alone. Each one of us needs an Elizabeth, people who can confirm the dreams God has given to us, who can tell us that we're not crazy for pursuing justice, reconciliation, and renewal. People who can provide refuge, a place for us to come and be safe and be encouraged so that we can then go back out into the world and chase down that dream. And so I wonder, what dreams has God given you? And who is an Elizabeth to you? And to whom could you be an Elizabeth? Let's just consider that first question for a moment. What dreams has God given you? I know, well, I think, I feel that that question is, I sense that it's enormous. In fact, it can feel maybe even overwhelming. What dreams has God given me? Wow, it feels too big. So let me ask it maybe a, a different way. What parts of your life or the world is God inviting you to help renew? Because God's dreams are always about renewal, always. And I know, I know you all in your life and in your relationships, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, in the world, you see You are people who see those things that are in need of renewal. God's dreams for the world are simply God's invitation to you to participate in that renewal. And of course, 
That does not mean that you and I should participate in all of the places where renewal is needed. We can't do that. And we're not asked actually to do that. But there are things, unique things, unique ways in which you are positioned in the world, unique places that you inhabit, unique relationships that you have, that that are, are the places where God invites you to participate in renewal. And sometimes um, these dreams are small. Uh, God's dreams for the world are small in the sense that they're everyday sorts of things. I was thinking this week about owning a mistake at work. I made a mistake and my instinct was to not tell a soul about it. Just hope that no one noticed. But you know what? Actually owning your mistakes is a way of bringing renewal into the world. It's small. It's not merry-sized, if you will. But having my workplace, your workplace, a place of integrity, that matters. And the more that we live into that, the more that the world is renewed. Or I think about reconciling a relationship when I've done something that's hurtful to another person or someone has wounded me or there's been a misunderstanding. Any move towards wholeness in a relationship that has been harmed is to participate in God's dreams for the world. It's to participate in the renewal of God. And so it's small, it's just me and that person, but it's not insignificant. And it's one way maybe that we participate in the dreams of God, or you decide to see a therapist so you can work out some things that are really you're struggling with or you're not sure about, um, that is an act of renewal. Or you do the hard work of developing empathy for a family member who you disagree with politically. That act of developing empathy, not necessarily agreement, but empathy is an act of renewal. It may seem small. You might even talk yourself into thinking that it doesn't matter it's, it's just too insignificant, but it's not. Those acts, those, those ways of participating in God's dreams for the world are actually some of the most significant things that we can do. And then, yes, there are big ways in which we participate in God's renewal. Uh, I think about for example, something that we collectively as a church have tried to do in the last couple of years as we've worked to develop a relationship with Brookside Elementary here in the neighborhood. You know, why have we done that? Well, in part, if not a major part, is because we believe that every child should have every opportunity to learn to grow, to explore, to become their fullest selves. But we know, of course, that not every child has that opportunity. The system is not equal 
It does not offer the same thing to all, all of its participants. And we think that should change. We think that would be part of God's dreams for the world, would be to see every child have that opportunity. Now, in a couple of years of us building a relationship with an elementary school, it's become very clear, if we didn't know it already, uh, that this is a really big dream. And we cannot do it alone. Um, even if every one of us at the branch gave all of our time and energy into trying to, to bring about change and to love and to be compassion, hope and serve, uh, we, we still want to fix it all. And so that's why we as a church have looked for Elizabeth's partners, people who share the same dream and part of what has, that has meant for us as a church is joining this thing called the Alger Garfield Neighbors Collaborative. It's a mouthful, but it is four churches, two neighborhood associations, a business association, the Crocs Center, and other entities joining together and saying, you know what, we, we want to be a part of renewal in these particular ways. One of them would be Brookside and in Alger, these two schools in this part of the city. And we want to come together because we can do more together than we could ever do alone. Right? So sometimes these big dreams also are things that God invites us into. But even there, um, it's very clear that we can't do it by ourselves. I was thinking about how for me, one of the things in my life, one of the dreams that God seems to have called me into, invited me into in the last few years is around racial equity. And you've heard me uh, share on this on and off, you know, in that time period. That dream for the world, a world renewed racially, where there is no inequity, where there is no hatred, um, of course, that's, that's like one of the biggest dreams of our time. But it's also very small in the sense that it involves me and, and a lot of work that I have to do just internally. I've got a lot. I've, I've had a lot. I still have a lot of learning to do. Things to humbly confess. Um, relationships to build so this dream has been both very small, very personal, um, and very big. But in all of it, I have just been over and over reminded of how desperately I need Elizabeths. Because I'll tell you what, I'll talk myself out of participating in this thing in a real hurry, right? I will com just convince myself it's too hard. What difference am I going to make? I don't know what to do, you know, all those things I say. And I've needed Elizabeth to kind of help keep me going, to wrap their arms around me and say, hey, uh, you, you need to keep moving on this. This is important. Or as like my wife does, she, she offers different people she's listening to and talking to. And my kids at the dinner table, sometimes this comes up, this issue comes up and 
they're Elizabeths to me. They encourage and are farther ahead of me in many ways. And I think of Micah and Sarah Jane, who have been Elizabeths to me in this journey. I think of Deborah McCreary. Or, there are people who have moved, helped me to keep after this dream and not let it go. And we need that. We all need that. Whether we're trying to own a mistake at work, reconcile a relationship, or tackle racial inequality, we need Elizabeth. We can't do it alone. We're not meant to do it alone. And so here, let me invite you to consider action. With these couple of questions, who is an Elizabeth to you? Mary makes the journey. She's intentional about going to Elizabeth. I wonder, and I know in my life, this has happened more times than I can count, where there's something that God is inviting me into and I don't tell anybody about it. Maybe I don't wanna sound crazy. Maybe I'm worried that if I tell someone <laughs> that I'm gonna to have to do it. But sometimes just the act of telling a trusted friend, someone in our life who we know will support us, that act alone is really significant. So who's an Elizabeth to you? If you don't have someone, I'd invite you to think carefully about who in your life could support you and then, and then tell them this week about this thing that's stirring in you, be it owning something at work or being a part of something huge and, and big and complex. Who's an Elizabeth to you and to whom can you be an Elizabeth? Maybe someone's already shared a dream, a way in which God wants them to participate in the renewal of all things. This week, you could just simply check in with them and ask them, how's it going? How's it going? And then listen to them and be supportive to them. Who is an Elizabeth to you? If you don't have anyone, who might you tell, talk to this week, make a point of, of, of reaching out to, and to whom can you be an Elizabeth? And so on that note, I'm going to pause here and give a few moments for you to consider what, the, what step there may be for you to take to be supported or to offer support in God's renewing work in the world. Let's take a few moments to reflect on that. 